Welcome to episode 61 of Talking Wild Madness. This is Adam. Uh, we are, what are we? We are the 30th of April at the moment. So we've been in a shutdown, lockdown kind of situation for, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks now. It's kind of self-imposed. Uh, I got asked this morning to do a one of those push-up challenges. I have a friend who is a she's a free diver which are uh, people that dive in the ocean i think they go down to like 10 meters or 15 meters but they go without any equipment other than uh, other than like goggles and somehow they're able to work with their breath where they can stay underwater for uh like minutes at a time and then come up very slowly uh, without getting depressurized or whatever that's called, without getting the bends. And her name's uh, Tanya. She is a conservationist and an activist. I know Tanya from when she came to Albany to show a, uh, a nature film about whale conservation. And I played, I basically was the opening, <laughs> I was the opening act for the movie. So I played a, a set of music and then, um, yeah, the movie was screened outdoors. So Tanya's very passionate about conservation and swimming and water and mental health and all that kind of stuff. So when she asked me to do it, I couldn't really say no, even though I didn't really want to do it. But in the, in the interests of continuously stepping outside of your comfort zone, I decided to do it. So I... The hardest part about doing it was uploading the video to Facebook to prove that I that I did it. That took the uh, that took the most work. And when I posted it, I Facebook gave me this prompt to say that you can add a charity button to the to the video, which I didn't know. And then I so I just clicked on the on the charity button, and then it had a drop down menu of all these charities that were linked into Facebook. So I chose the prevention suicide prevention charity it's based in australia i didn't really look too uh i didn't look at the detail too much uh and within minutes someone had donated 25 dollars to the suicide prevention organization which i just thought was so uh so wonderful i know there is um I know there's a lot of conspiracies and negativity surrounding uh, 5G and the internet and what it's done, but to be able to to be able to record yourself doing a few push-ups and then being able to post it and with a couple of clicks set up a um, set up a, a charity donation that's that's that easy that everyone who watches the video has access to. And they just need to click on it a few times and, and put their details in. I think it's really, yeah, I think it's really tremendous. Uh, and it felt really good. I've never, I've never really, um, I don't know we're only talking about $25, but at, at the moment I have my um, my new album for sale on, on the website and I have my book has just come out. But I have to say, seeing that someone had donated $25 felt better than seeing someone had bought the album or had bought the book. And the book's about the same price. It's about $25. Um, 
I don't get $25 from, from the book, but um, I'm, I'm just the author. I'm only the person that wrote it. I'm not the publisher or the bookshop. And they, uh, you know, they clearly deserve their 90% of, of, of the money. So I get about $2 a sale. So that's for the, that's for the book, $2. I think it's $2.50 or something like that. And then if you sell, if you sell large quantities, I think that, that goes up incrementally. And the book Bird is also, you know, in its own way, it's a suicide prevention book as well. Um, you know, life is very, very difficult. Life is very, very difficult. Even when it's going really well, there are elements to this this game that are just torturous uh, and are almost impossible to deal with. And that is, that's both the good and the bad news, is that, it, yes, it is almost impossible to deal with, but the good news is that it is almost impossible to to deal to deal with uh, things. And in my short experience, it's always been the savior of a bad spot, uh, the, the savior of, of being in a bad situation, being in a traumatic situation, or the in the aftermath of a tragic situation or a traumatic situation. Is that you really your only move is to think your way out of things is to be able to uh, commit enough mental gym, gymnastics to get your head around what it is that is happening um, this is uh, this is Viktor Frankl talking about the the gap in between stimulus and response when things happen to you that's the stimulus when you respond to that stimulus there's a little space in between and you get to decide how you're going to respond to that stimulus and if you're lucky you get a bit of time if you're lucky you get um you know you get a lot of time uh if you're dealing say with the the loss of a loved one or the death of a loved one you know you get as long as you're above ground you get that time to deal with how you're going to respond to that tragedy and that and that trauma uh, and if you're unlucky, you get you get a second to decide how you're going to respond to to particular uh, stimulus. And it's I think we have talked about this before. It's not a it's not a brand new idea. Viktor Frankl came up with that phrase after he'd spent uh, I think it was over a year in in Auschwitz. Uh, but I mean that 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 kind of thinking that goes back to Hamlet goes back to Shakespeare saying that nothing is good or bad, only thinking makes it so. Um, and it really is a great a great gift to be. Uh, it's a great gift to give yourself, I suppose, to have enough mental fortitude, to have enough creative thinking uh, that you literally can't think your way out of anything, almost anything. Um, yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a powerful it's quite a powerful tool. I have found myself in moments of creative thinking. I have found myself exhausted at the effort of it. Sometimes um, the things that you are facing, or one is facing, or I am facing, or you are facing, is so overwhelmingly sad and so overwhelmingly traumatic that the effort it takes to 
do these executions of, of mental gymnastics it is exhausting in itself. And you you sometimes get tired of of having to do it. You sometimes get tired of having to change your perspective to shift the paradigm in order for you to just get through the day. But I mean, literally, that is what some days are, are like. Uh, not just in isolation, not just when you're self-quarantined or, or government-approved quarantine or anything like that. In, in, um, in many ways, being quarantined or being locked down or just spending most of your time at home, in many ways, it is uh, easier, certainly not for everybody, but in many ways it is easier because you're interacting with other people less and it's usually the interactions with other people that cause you the trauma that causes you most of the of the pain that that life has to offer. Um, you know, and I, I consider myself extraordinarily lucky. I think I have a wonderful uh, life, uh, and even with even with this wonderful life that that I that I found myself in. It's still really, really difficult. It's still really, really uh, hard at times. Um, yeah. So I think if you can, if you can do twenty-five push-ups, make a make a silly video and uh, and and put a donation uh, button up there for people to uh, respond to. You know, I think that's that's the least you can do. Uh, the very least you can do. But I was very happy to do it, and I was very happy to that that it um, yeah I was very happy that it worked. I don't know what they're going to do with that twenty five dollars. Who knows? I don't know. I have any idea how the charity works? Maybe they can keep the phone line open for an extra ten minutes and close at a quarter a quarter past eleven at night instead of five past eleven at night. Maybe maybe one person will get through that wouldn't have gotten through. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, there's also great comfort I think in knowing that whatever it is that you happen to be experiencing, whatever it is you happen to be suffering, I think it's always really helpful to know that you're not the only one experiencing these things. You're not the only one feeling overwhelmed or, uh, you know, um, manic, depressively sad. Uh, you're not the only one who's almost foaming with anxiety uh, you're not the only one that sometimes cannot even get out of bed. You're not the only one that drinks too much or smokes too much or has too much promiscuous sex or has too much food or has too much fill in the blank. There's a great comfort knowing that, oh, yeah, these 10,000 people over here, uh, yeah, they're, they're exactly the same. <laughs> they're exactly the same as you are. And that horror and that self-loathing, that you've been carrying around just just kind of disappears, evaporates. I went to I went to the doctor about five years ago. This is a, just a a personal example, and it was when I was doing my PhD. I was finishing. I was in the last year of my PhD, and I was also building the house that I'm now living in, and. I was organizing like new finance for the for the build. Um, my my now ex wife at that time was not my ex wife. She was my wife, and she was studying a master's degree. 
I was working, I was gigging, I was studying, I was building a house and I was drinking like an absolute pig. I was drinking so much uh, because it was just extraordinarily stressful. I just found the whole thing extraordinarily stressful and I was, I was drinking for, and then, you know, the entire, the entire day, day after day after day after day. And you drink so much that it, it, it's, you wake up the next morning and you feel like you've been exercising for three hours the day before because your, your body is physically processing all this alcohol, this booze that you're pouring into it. And it actually feels like you've been in like a car accident, you know, the next day. It was, it was, that, it was that kind of uh, overindulgence. And I felt terrible. I felt, um, felt physically not, not great. And I mentally I was, felt rattled. I felt really, really um, not, not great, not, not well at all. So I went to the doctor and I was like, man, um, I actually, the words I said to him, I said, I think my, it feels like my mind is, is collapsing. It feels like my, my, uh, my mind's actually falling in on itself. And then we had a, a little chat. We had a, we had a talk and then he, he asked me how much am I drinking? And I told him, you know, it was, he, it was, it was, he printed out a, a pamphlet or a piece of paper that was basically the government approved alcohol, um, your daily allowance, what you should be having as a, as a, as a 35 year old man at the time, you know, and I was, I was drinking 10 times as much as, as the recommended, um, daily intake. And it was very, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was a very emotional uh, moment or, I don't know, season or whatever. And just before I left, he said, Adam, don't worry. I see people like you all the time who, who are going through exactly what you've, what you've just described. People who have work hassles, people who have study, uh, study dramas, people who have family dramas, people who have financial dramas, um, people who are attempting to do things that are, uh, like say building a house, difficult. It's not, not, not particularly easy. Finishing it, doing a PhD, not particularly easy. Um, maintaining a marriage, not particularly easy. You know, so he have all these, all these balls in, in the air. And when he said to me that he sees people like me every day, um, it was, it was, it was like he pulled me out of a of a swimming pool, a heavy s- swimming pool, like like the uh, like the one the Terminator Two got drowned in at the end of Terminator Two, uh, like like heavy lead. It was like he just picked me up and said, "It's absolutely fine. You're absolutely normal, and this is, um, yeah, this is something we can we can sort out." And and you know, and we did. Not to say that the next five years was was completely, uh, you know. Was was sit ups and, and sobriety, um, but yeah, we managed to managed to get ourselves out of out of that um, yeah, out of that moment of, of complete excess. So there's a few things happening at the moment on a on a brighter note. Although I don't like to say that talking about that stuff isn't a brighter note because talking about those kinds of things, hopefully 
yeah, will help other people. Will will help other people maybe more than the twenty five dollars uh, that that have been that was donated. Um, but a lady called uh, Leela donated that money from, and she's from uh, Esperance, which is a town even more isolated than Albany in the southwest, on the south coast of Western Australia. Uh, so yeah. Share, share the uh, share the stories, share share the love, and share the share the burden that, that some people find themselves under. Um, if you get a chance to check out Tanya Douthwaite on Facebook, she's doing her push-ups uh, wearing a Jacques Cousteau red aquatic beanie and is dressed as a mermaid. She she has a. Uh, uh, like pants, like obviously they go from her hip down to her feet, and it's basically a mermaid outfit. So even just just for that, uh, that's worth that's worth having a look. If you do engage with Tanya and you do make a comment on her outfit, she you are, would put yourself in danger of being nominated to do the twenty five uh, push ups. But I say go for it. I say go for it anyway. So a few of the other things that are happening uh, tonight, we're doing a uh, we're going to do a gig in the in in here at my house. Uh, Paul, the drummer, is coming over, and um, Bad Blake is coming. He's coming down from Perth to sit in. Uh, so hopefully he'll make it on time. We're just going to do a little three piece acoustic, uh, almost skiffle session in the study, and we'll. I'll, I'll try and stream it on YouTube, and if I can't stream it live, well, I'll, I'll record it and then we'll put it up live. Oh, sorry, we'll put it up afterwards, but I will try and stream it uh, while, while we're going. So if you're up and about around about 8 o'clock tonight on the 30th of April, uh, yeah, tune in to check out some music. The other great uh, bit of news that I got, uh, I applied for a travel permit. So I could drive around. I'm on the south coast of uh, Western Australia, and we are at the moment in regional lockdown. So you can't drive. Um, I can't drive 150 kilometres. I think that's kind of the circle. I can't drive more than that. But because I have a new book out, I applied for a travel exemption so I could drop these books off to some regional bookstores. Uh, there's some independent, very small regional bookstores in places like Donnybrook and Manjimup and Bailing Up, and I don't know if Nanup has has a bookstore. I think I don't know if they do. Um, but I, yeah, I put in an application, and the uh, it was through like the police, the Department of Police or whatever, and they got back and said, "Yep, no worries, you're allowed to drive around." So I'm really looking forward to. I mean, I'm just looking forward to getting in the car and driving around the state. Um, and every now and then, I have to throw a few books out the window uh, to, on, on the front doorstep of, of a regional bookstore. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to that. And I am hopefully getting a rooftop tent put on the top of the car. So maybe not right in the next month or so, but uh, hopefully soon. So I'll be able to, uh, when everything's kind of back to normal, I'll be able to rent the house out on Airbnb for the weekend and I can take off, play some gigs, sleep in the tent and, and roll back home. 
that is that is the plan. I have found that I'm really missing playing music, uh, which I didn't think that I would as much as I as, as much as I have. Um, there's I think there's, there's there's always been a part of me that there's a part of me that feels a little bit like a performing monkey when I'm when I'm performing music, and I resent that that part. And I think it's from playing too many crappy, shitty gigs uh, in the corners of pubs where no one's really listening, and you just feel like, ah, this is this is awful, this is terrible. And there's a little bubble of resentment. It's a terrible thing for a musician to have, a uh, terrible thing for an artist to to have to be resentful of making a living uh, doing what doing what they love to do. Uh, so I'm really glad that I, I that I've missed it. It's, I'm really glad that I've missed playing music, and I'm really glad that I'm looking forward to getting back, getting back to playing music. Um, by the looks of the, th- the way things are going, unless there's a unless there's a second wave, I, I, th- I kind of think, I kind of think we might be up and running again in maybe a limited capacity around September, if not sooner. But well, yeah, we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I'm super grateful, man. Super grateful to have something to look forward to, uh, you know, work-wise. I'm so, I I was thinking about this the other day. When I was going through uni, my very first uni, I did a a philosophy degree, and I worked for a labor hire company in Perth. And the first labor hire company was Blue Collar Workers. And the second one was Integrated. uh, I think it was just called Integrated. And they would send you. You were you were kind of like well you were just you were hired you were a hired laborer that's all you were, but it, it meant you didn't have to go and you know you didn't have to go to a building site and ask people for work, you didn't have to um, send a resume in you know and work for the one brick paver guy for three years. It was kind of like having it's similar to having an agent for music. You uh, you know you rang up. On, on Friday and said, is there anything going next week? And then they would say, yeah, I've got two days at a, at a chicken processing plant and uh, I've got a cement piping factory that needs someone to uh, to rub the end of cement pipes with slurry for four days uh, starting on Thursday. You know, can you do that? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Absolutely. And they sent, And it just went on and on and you would be going to all the different Mad, like insane places. I, I was putting in air conditioning um, ducts in the ceiling of the Pier Street Theatre in Perth. I worked at a night shift in an envelope factory in oh, Osborne Park. I worked at a styrofoam factory in Armadale. That was, that was something else. And I did two very long stints, like nine-month stints at a factory where I had to clean out old barrels of fertilizer that would get dropped off in giant trucks. And it was your job to vacuum the dregs of the chemical fertilizer out with a vacuum cleaner and then rinse out the barrels uh, with a hose and then turn them upside down, put them through a wash and then re-sticker them and then stack them in pallets of of 27 barrels and then wrap the pallets in plastic. And you'd start work. That was in Fremantle. 
and you would start at six in the morning. And I remember driving to this place and this place smelled like ammonia and sulfur. And next door to it was a goatskin factory and there was no barrier or wall between our factory and their factory. So you were just surrounded with this foul chemical ammonia, sulfur, uh, and goat shit and goat skin. And you were just up, you were up to your eyeballs in this just disgusting, disgusting place. And you would start at, you know, you'd have to be there just before six, which meant in the winter that was that was in the dark. You were turning up in the dark. Um, you were getting out of bed. And I, we, where were we living? We were living, I think we were living in East Fremantle at the time. So it was only a short drive to get there. But I remember practically crying on the way to work, like as a 22-year-old man or a 22-year-old young man. And I was driving in the dark to this hellhole, to this place that literally smelled, had the same smell as what the Catholic Church thought hell would smell like. Uh, and women weren't allowed to work there because the chemicals in the barrels, the barrels were uterus high, you know. The barrels were, were, were you, if you had, if, oh, I won't say it, but they were uterus high anyway. Now, they weren't that far off testicle height either, but that didn't seem to matter. So you were only working with all men, and it was very boring, very monotonous work. Yeah, and I remember driving. I remember driving there, and I was just like, "Man, I can't wait for this to end. I have to get out of here. This this is killing me. I actually am sad about where I work." And yeah, I, when I say practically crying, I, I mean, I mean, I wasn't sobbing. I wasn't sobbing like with snot coming out of my nose, but there was a there was a few poetic t tears uh, rolling down my uh, the the my face in silence as I drove on to this to this place. So cut to whatever, fifteen years later, and I'm just really grateful that I, that now I get to look forward to going to work. And I look look forward to, to earning a living. Um, yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great privilege. It really is. It's a really, really great privilege, and um, yeah, just very, 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 very grateful. Uh, okay, I, I will, uh, I, I will leave it there for today, and we'll get on with uh, the preparations for the gig tonight. And uh, thank you very much for everyone who is continuing to listen and to tune in, and thank you to everyone who's shared the podcast with other people. Uh, I'll, I'm going to make a list of all the towns where the podcast is being uh, listened to all over the world. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll, I want to read them out because it's, I still get a kick out of, I'm still excited. I'm still excited um, by how many people from bizarre corners of the world that I wouldn't have expected are, are listening to, uh, to, to the podcast. So thank you very much. <laughs>